the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Beloved in the Lord, let us draw near with a true heart and confess our sins unto God our Father, beseeching him in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to grant us his forgiveness. Our help is in the name of the Lord. O me, heaven and earth, I said I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. O Almighty God, merciful Father, I, a poor miserable sinner, confess unto you all my sins and iniquities with which I have ever offended you, and justly deserve your temporal and eternal punishment. But I am heartily sorry for them, and sincerely repent of them. And I pray you of your boundless mercy, and for the sake of the holy, innocent, bitter sufferings and death of your beloved Son, Jesus Christ, to be gracious and merciful to me, a poor sinful being. Upon this your confession, I, by virtue of my office as a called and ordained servant of the word, announce the grace of God unto you, and in the stead and by the command of our Lord Jesus Christ, I forgive you all of your sins, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. It is God who executes judgment, putting down one and lifting up another. We give thanks to you, O God. We give thanks for your king is near. We recount your wondrous deeds. At the set time that I appoint, I will judge with equity. For not from the east or from the west, and not from the wilderness comes lifting up. But I will declare it forever. I will sing praises to the God of Jacob. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now and will be forever. Amen. It is God who executes judgment, putting down one and lifting up another. Lord, have mercy upon us. Christ, have mercy upon us. Lord, have mercy upon us. Glory be to God on high, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. We praise thee. Bless thee, we worship thee, we glorify thee, we give thanks to thee for thy great glory. O Lord God, heavenly King, God the Father of Almighty, O Lord, the only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, 
of the devil, and with pure hearts and minds avoid ungodly pride. Through the same Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. The scripture readings for this, the 14th Sunday after Pentecost. The Old Testament reading from the 25th chapter of Proverbs. It is the glory of God to conceal things, but the glory of kings is to search things out. As the heavens for height and the earth for depth, so the heart of kings is unsearchable. Take away the dross from the silver and the smith has material for a vessel. Take away the wicked from the presence of the king and his throne will be established in righteousness. Do not put yourself forward in the king's presence or stand in the place of the great, for it is better to be told, come up here, than to be put lower in the presence of a noble. What your eyes have seen, do not hastily bring into court, for what will you do in the end when your neighbor puts you to shame? Argue your case with your neighbor himself, and do not reveal another's secret, lest he who hears you bring shame upon you, and your ill repute have no end. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him lack nothing. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. The Epistle Lesson from the 13th chapter of Hebrews. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. And let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, 
for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. And remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is wrought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise unto God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing unto God. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. According to St. Luke, the 14th chapter. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and the Pharisees, saying, is it lawful to heal of the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. And then he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, Which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on the Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. And now he told a parable to those who were invited. When he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, When you were invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him, and he who invited you both will come and say to you, Give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you were invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, Friend, move up higher. And then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. 
He said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. This is the gospel of our Lord. We together confess our holy Christian faith in the words of the Nicene Creed. I believe in one of God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again according to the scriptures and ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father. And he will come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom will have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And I believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen.
Grace, mercy, and peace be yours from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Today we consider the Gospel reading, which begins this way. One Sabbath, Jesus went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees. Friends in our Lord Jesus, the entrepreneurial sort might find quite an opportunity in today's Gospel reading. Maybe you can see it already, a book. A book, the kind you'd probably find at the new features section at the table. You walk into Barnes & Noble or at the swivel rack near the pharmacy and the drugstore. A book. A book entitled Sabbath Lessons in Social Etiquette. And the subtitle would read, Learning Social Graces from Jesus. And you know it would sell. It's a sad reality that all too many see in Jesus little more than that. A sage advice giver on all things from, from diplomacy to the dining table. The Son of the Eternal God did not take on human flesh and sin and pain in order that he might simply save faces when it comes to social graces. Even in today's Gospel account, on each opportunity on which he ceases to teach in each case in that gospel account of the Sabbath day dinner today, in each case Jesus aims far deeper, aiming at things that are eternal. Consider, the account begins by placing Jesus here at the the house of a ruler of the Pharisees. Now this host has invited to this dinner banquet all of his cronies, his friends, Pharisees, Those were teachers of the Mosaic Law, Pharisees and lawyers, professional advisors in the law. This crowd knew the law. Jesus' presence there may seem a bit out of place, but no matter the motive, he was invited, and as he had done on previous occasions, he was pleased to accept the invitation, and so there he was. Were there ulterior motives? Luke does note that that they, the Pharisees and the lawyers, they were watching him closely. They were inspecting his every move and scrutinizing his every move. After all, it was the Sabbath. And they were told that a man with dropsy came before them. Now, the condition's not as it sounds. The name comes from the Greek word for watery, Hudropikos, because this man and others who suffered like him suffered from a severe swelling. So you get the term watery. He suffered from a severe swelling that you could see it was evident to those who looked at him. A severe swelling so often due to the worst interior condition. Often it was some degree of organ dysfunction or in, in many cases organ failure. It was evident this man stood in need. It's interesting that Luke notes that Jesus responded to the lawyers and the Pharisees. Had they said or done anything yet to which Jesus could respond? Absolutely. Their inaction in the face of this man's need and condition spoke far more loudly than any word they could have said. They did absolutely nothing to help him in any way. Why? 
Well, it was the Sabbath. Now, was this man a a plan? Was he planted there by the, the Pharisees that they might catch Jesus breaking the Sabbath by helping him? Perhaps was... Was he simply an opportune visitor that might accomplish the same end? It really doesn't matter, whichever and in any case, he became, this man became a teaching tool in the hands of our Lord, who responded to the Pharisaic legalistic inaction by asking this, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Now surely a room full of Pharisees and lawyers could answer that simple question. But silence. Silence. They took the fifth so as not to incriminate themselves because you see if if they said yes it is legal well they no longer had any charge against Jesus. But if they said no it's not legal then they themselves were guilty of breaking the higher law. Because you see, Jesus' question really was this. Is it lawful to love on the Sabbath? Friends, whatever the self-established, self-imposed rules and regulations of men, the law of love reigns supreme. Martin Luther said it this way. He said, love is to be the interpreter of the law. Now, they had their Sabbath regulation. But was it to the exclusion of love your neighbor as yourself? They had had a Sabbath. But wasn't the Sabbath made for man? Not man for the Sabbath. They had a regulation, but they also had before them a man who stood in great need. He stood in need of their love. He stood in need of their kindness, of their long-suffering with him at this particular occasion in need of their gentleness and their goodness. St. Paul writes against such things, love and kindness and gentleness and goodness, against such things, he writes, there is no law. We've got to stop and ask ourselves this. What were the Pharisees and lawyers really doing? You know what they were doing? They were scrutinizing Jesus in order to disqualify him. To disqualify him by their self-established, self-imposed standards so that he wouldn't interfere with that with which they were comfortable. So that he'd bear upon their lives only so far as they wanted him to. And friends, we've all got to beware of doing exactly that. Of trying to catch Jesus in standards of our own design in order that we might disqualify him, at least to a degree. How do we do that? Well, we do that when we reason that Jesus is loving. He's loving and embracing and saying anything against the chosen lifestyles of others. For instance, against premarital sexual relationships or against extramarital sexual relationships, or or homosexuality, that's saying things against these things, or against the worldviews that others embrace, well, that simply wouldn't be loving, as Jesus is loving. You could call it the Anne Rice effect. Maybe you know of Anne Rice. 
She's a, a, a noted author of, of vampire novels who some time ago publicly confessed and professed Christianity. But only some weeks ago, she's publicly, <coughs> she's publicly now renounced it, saying, and I quote her, I quit Christianity. I'm out, she says. In the name of Christ, she says, I, re- I refuse to be anti, she, she lists homosexuality. I refuse to be anti-secular humanism. And she lists many other things. Which of you, including Anne Rice, which of you, if a son or a brother, even if you be strong-willed as an ox, which of you, if a son or brother has fallen into the well shaft of a particular sin, which of you would leave him there? Would you not, would we not immediately lend a hand a corrective, loving word, even though it might be refused, would we not? There's no law against such thing. In fact, love compels it, does it not? Or which of us having a son or a brother, even a father, who to his own detriment has neglected the means of saving grace, received where God's word is preached, his sacraments faithfully given, who's neglected these for for far too long, which of us would simply give him up as lost because of some self-imposed family rule of non-confrontation? No. So often love compels us. On that Sabbath day, Jesus filled the void of their silence with his love, he healed the man on the Sabbath because that's what love required. And he sent him well on his way. And there's no, against such thing, there's no law. And thank our God that there's not, for consider it. Is it right? You could say, is it lawful? That God the Almighty should lay aside his due majesty, should, should assume flesh of our sinful flesh, should eat, should dwell with us? Is it right? Us who are all as guilty as any Pharisee of withholding due love from a neighbor? Is it right that on the cross God in flesh should endure the justice of God's righteousness against all Sin of every man of all time. Is it right? And yet he did it. He did it because his love compelled him. So that today, guilty though we be, and we are, so that yet today the law is silenced. The law can't accuse you. It has nothing to reply to the answer of Christ's love upon the cross. It has nothing to say to Christ's cross. And still, today, on this day, he reaches out to us in our condition. Here in this word that you hear read to you and preached to you at this table, in this feast, still he reaches out and he heals you. And just like that man that day, 
He now sends you healed, forgiven on your way. Love compels him. Now, having dismantled the self-imposed laws of man by the law of love, recall the reading, Jesus now turns attention to another, (coughs) another law, if you will. You could call it a law of nature, fallen nature. The universal law of self-exaltation. Because remember, he notes how the many guests at this dinner scramble to secure for themselves the the places of honor. Now, if Jesus were only giving lessons in social etiquette, still his advice would be good and sound and wise. Don't angle for the better places. It's better, far better to be asked to move up than it is to be told, move over, move down. But of course, again, the Christ didn't come from heaven to teach table manners. He's aiming at things far deeper here. He's aiming at the universal problem of pride. Human pride. Subsurface. Though it is. Hidden though we may try to keep it, does it not make itself known and apparent every single day of life? Whenever we'd angle... At the expense of another, for I, for me, for mine. Whenever we look to presume to, to position ourselves in a place of honor above someone else to any degree, in any context. Children do it all the time. I see them. You do too. They clamor for the best seat to sit and to watch the movie or, or, to, or to eat. Adults do it too, don't we? We do it far better than the children. We do it far better. We're more covert about it. We're more subtle in doing it. Sometimes, sometimes even feigning, pretending, even using the show of humility in order to be asked to move up. Who, me? Jesus speaks to far more than table etiquette here. If it's unwise to put yourself forward in the presence, as the writer of Proverbs said in the Old Testament reading, if it's unwise to put yourself forward in the presence of kings or to stand in the place of the earthly great, how much more to presume with pride to stand in the presence of God. And that's really the thing at which Jesus is driving here. Because he concludes that what Luke calls a parable... A picture teaching of a higher truth. He concludes this parable, this parable about a wedding feast, an image Jesus commonly uses to talk of the kingdom of God. He concludes this this parable with this line. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And everyone who humbles himself will be exalted. Friends, you and I have a standing invitation To this feast, week after week, God himself is the host. God himself is the host. How do we come into his presence? Do we come pleased with ourselves? 
at least a bit and expecting God will be too? When we come here sizing up one another, measuring, scrutinizing the specks in each other's eyes so that we might get a good feel for what place you or I might envision for ourselves here at this table? Do we come Do we come through those doors every week assuming and presuming that we deserve a place here? Scripture says God opposes the proud, but he gives grace, it says, to the humble. And let's not pat ourselves on the back for being humble. Those who are humbled are humbled only because God has humbled us. The psalmist says, I was brought low. Not I brought myself low, but he says, I was brought low and the Lord saved me. How does he bring us low through his word, the law, by which we're taught, as Isaiah says, that even our best righteousnesses amount to little more than filthy rags brought low. We're brought low through ailment and illness, are we not? As we realize how far and how deeply we depend each day upon God, the dust of death can't humble anyone any lower. But God's word, his promise to those that he's humbled and who believe in him, his word is true. He will exalt you in due time. And so the psalmist says he raises, he raises the poor out of the dust. And indeed he'll do that for you. In due time on the last day he'll raise you from the dust. It says he raises, he lifts the needy out of the ash heap. He will, he already has. It says he'll do these that he may seat him with princes. Yea, even with his son at heaven's table. We come before God, as Luther put it well, beggars, all. We come poor, we come needy with nothing in these hands to offer him. We come, and there's no distinction before God. St. Paul says as much, there's no difference. All have sinned and fall short, and yet all are saved in the very same way. We come with no distinction before God. It's said that the Duke of Wellington, when once he was receiving the sacrament at his parish church, a poor old man came, he knelt down right to his his side. And a warden came over and he touched this old, this poor, this dingy man on the shoulder and he motioned for him to move down a ways from the Duke. When the Duke noticed it, he reached out his hand and he grasped the hand of that that old poor man, and he said to him, Sir, don't move. He said in a whisper, he said, We're all equal here. We're all equal here. All being invited by the gracious host to move up, receiving at the Lord's table what we neither deserve nor what we can repay. And that's finally... Today, that's finally what Christ does turn to the host and remark about, doesn't he? As you recall the end of the gospel reading, he turns to the host of the Sabbath dinner party and he he says, when you give a dinner or a banquet, don't invite your friends 
or your neighbors, your brothers, your rich neighbors, your relatives, those who might repay you by inviting you in return? He says, invite those who can't repay you. And he names various social classes of antiquity that that simply couldn't repay the poor and the crippled, the lame and the blind. Invite those who can't. Mind you well, Jesus is not telling us to stop having family and friends over for a barbecue. It's not what he's saying here. He uses an ongoing present verb saying, in essence, don't always and exclusively invite only those who are going to pay you back. Why not? Friends, where would we be if Jesus were to do that? If Christ invited to salvation's meal only those who could repay him. He doesn't invite us to this banquet extravagant with heaven's best, the fruits of his cross. He doesn't invite us expecting that we're going to repay him. His love simply compels it. Friends, as St. John has written, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. In Jesus' name, amen.
whole church of God in Christ and for all people according to their needs. We pray. O Lord, our Heavenly Father, we come to you confident that you will not leave us nor forsake us, but will grant us all that we need for this body and life. We pray that you would also enable us to practice brotherly love toward one another, to show hospitality to strangers, and to remember those who truly are in need. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. You call upon us, O Lord, to remember our leaders and to imitate the faith of those who have served you in the past. With gratitude for pastors and parents and others who have led us in the faith, we pray that you would continue to bless your church, that we may be led by new generations of faithful leaders who preach and teach your word and truth and lead new generations in celebrating your love for the world in your Son, Jesus Christ. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. You remind us through your word, O Father, that here we have no lasting city, but that here is where you've placed us to serve you as we faithfully care for one another and for all of your creation. We therefore ask you to guide the President and the Congress and the courts of our nation and the Governor and the legislators of our state and all the judiciary of our land, that they may serve your purposes for our nation and world. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. Lord, you've established marriage in the family and the homes and of husbands and wives to be the primary unit of all society, the place where we learn, where we care and extend your love to each other. We ask, therefore, that you would bless our marriages and dwell in our homes where they are strong in Christ, sustain them, where they are weakened by our sin against him or one another, restore them through the healing power of sin confessed and sin forgiven. Bless especially, O Lord, we ask this day Bob and Lois Stein, who celebrate the 46th anniversary of their marriage, dwell in their hearts and bless their home with your daily presence. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, Lord have mercy. O Lord Jesus Christ, you claim our wounds as your own and have promised to bear the burdens of all of our infirmities. We come to you on behalf of the sick, especially Dick Much, as he awaits your call to the place that you've prepared for him and for his wife, Elsie, and family, that you would strengthen them for these difficult days. For Sonia Heidemann, Jean Hammond, and others whose bodies are afflicted by illness or by natural disaster or by accident, especially the granddaughter of Beverly Myers, who was involved in a crosswalk accident. Be with each of them, we pray too, for the lonely, for the widow and the widower, for the orphans of the world. Grant them healing and comfort, security and peace according to your will. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For all who celebrate special occasions of your goodness and grace in their lives, and especially today for your son, Ralph Wilhelms, as he and his family together celebrate his 90th birthday, continue to bless this dear brother with the steadfastness of faith which has seen him through the harder times of his many years and the inner peace and joy of faith that has always given him cause to thank you for your unfailing love and presence in his life. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. You invite us, O Father, to the banquet table of our Lord Jesus Christ, and you bid us to take the place of honor prepared for us there. Though undeserving, we gratefully come to receive the very body and blood of your Son confessing with all who come to this table the convictions of those who have gone before us in the faith, that with the saints of all times and places, we may be prepared by this holy feast 
for that great feast to be celebrated by all God's people. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. You know, gracious Father, what is good for us and what is not profitable for our salvation. Accordingly, keep from us all that would harm us and grant to us only that which is good and wholesome for us and for all for whom we've prayed. Hear us and grant us these things through your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, to whom with you and the Holy Spirit be all honor and glory now and forever. Amen. The Lord be with you. salutary that we should at all times and in all places give thanks to you, Holy Lord, Almighty Father, everlasting God, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who on this day overcame death and the grave, and by his glorious resurrection opened unto us the way of everlasting life. Therefore, with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven, we laud and magnify your glorious name evermore, praising you and saying, Holy, Holy, Holy Lord God of same way also he took the cup after supper and when he had given thanks he gave it to them saying drink of it all of you this cup is the new testament in my blood which is shed for you for the forgiveness of sins this do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me 
The peace of the Lord be with you always.
words for thy servant, departed in peace, according to thy word. For my eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared me for the face of all people. Thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, and his mercy endureth forever. We give thanks to you, Almighty God, that you've refreshed us through this salutary gift, and we implore you that of your mercy you would strengthen us through the same in faith toward you and in fervent love toward one another. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. The Lord be with you. 